0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis, Genesis, book 25, chapters 19 to 34. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramaean of Padan Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramaean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the elder shall serve the younger. When her time came, time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Now I want to share a video with you that quite honestly makes you want to dance. And so, Joyce, or anybody else, if you want to dance, go ahead and dance, or if you just want to clap, or if you just want to sit back and kind of remember the good old days back in 1960. I better shop around. All right. Meg, I bet you uh, heard a lot of that in Memphis, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, Phil, you think we can get the band to do that? Better hmm? <laughs> oh, wow. I tell you, that's wonderful. Now you're probably wondering why in the world did, uh, did I want to play that? Because if you remember, this is Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and Smokey's talking about the advice of his mama. Who told him that if he's looking for a woman to marry, he better shop around. You know, that's pretty good advice, I think. Um, you don't want to settle for the first young lady that you meet. And quite honestly, I think that's probably good advice for the ladies too, wouldn't you say? In fact, I bet some of you out there wish, I wish I had shopped around, right? <laughs> anyway. What's Cheryl gonna say about this? Song? <laughs> She's going to say, I should have shopped around, that's what she's going to say. Well, I'd like to suggest that's probably pretty good advice for any major decision that you're going to make, not just about your future spouse. Uh, For instance, just uh, about a week ago, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, Cheryl and I drove all the way up to New York so I could buy a car off of Craigslist my other car, even though it looks a lot like what I'm driving now, it had about 260,000 miles on it. and It finally said, I'm tired and quit. And so I did some shopping around on AutoTrader, Cars.com, Edmonds, and Craigslist. And I found this one. And I tell you, I, I tell you I've saved easily a thousand, maybe $2,000 by going up there. It pays to shop around. If you have a major... Uh, repair job that needs to be done on your car. You'd be foolish not to shop around. Now I realize not everybody does. And you're kind of comfortable with your particular mechanic, but if it's a major thing, you know, not, not just oil change or something, you're going to have to replace the engine. You might want to shop around because there are a lot of, a lot of different prices out there. Anybody who's bought a cell phone recently or a cable TV plan, you know, shop around. You can save a lot of money that way. If you're in the, in, uh, in the market for a new refrigerator or washer or dryer or television, shop around. Good advice. Some of us uh, ought to have hearing aids. And I tell you, I've done a little shopping around. And the prices range quite a bit with hearing aids, and that's true with eyeglasses as well. I we, We've got a number of real estate people around. Um, I think they would probably tell you that if you go look at a house and you fall in love with it, Boy, don't let anybody know that you have fallen in love. We, you know, uh, when Cheryl and I bought our first home, um, we fell in love with one, and that just threw all the negotiations out the window. When you fall in love, when you are, i got to have that house. So, you know, shopping around is really valuable. But in order to really shop around, you've got to be willing to walk away. You've got to be willing to say, okay, that's a pretty good choice, but this one might actually be better. You can't be too hungry, you see. And because if you're desperate, if you're if you've got to have that bowl of stew, you know, you'll be tempted to well, kind of go through with the deal without thinking about its full consequences. You might even make a decision that's against your own self-interest. You have to be able to shop around. If you're going to make a wise decision. So my advice to you is that if you're going grocery shopping, don't go shopping with an empty stomach. Because if you're hungry and you go into that grocery store, you're going to buy things that you wouldn't have bought otherwise. Uh, I've had that experience and I bet that many of you have had the same experience. If you're hungry, you will make choices that you might not otherwise make. Now, Esau had an empty stomach. He was hungry. He was hungry enough to sell his very birthright to his brother. For what price? For the price of a little bowl of red stuff, he called it, stew. He had been hunting, and he probably had around his shoulders game that he had had killed. He probably had a banquet on his shoulders, but it wasn't ready to eat. (laughs) What he saw in front of him was some stew, and he smelled it, and his stomach spoke for him. He was hungry, and so he was willing to give away his birthright. Now, Jacob and Esau were, were actually twins, uh, what we would call twins. They were born at the same time uh, in their mother's womb. But Esau came out of the womb seconds before Jacob. And Jacob, when he came out of the womb, was grabbing hold of Esau's heel. And that's why he was called Jacob. Jacob means grabber. Um, I think in our, in our translation for our scripture today, it talks about gripping, gripping. So he's a gripper. But he, Jacob means grabber, and he was grabbing Esau. And really, for the rest of his life, he was grabbing not only Esau, but all the other opportunities that presented themselves in his life. He was always out there grabbing what he could get for, him, for himself. Jacob was loved by his mother, Rebekah, he was her favorite son, whereas Esau was his father's favorite son, Isaac. Now, Esau appears to be a victim in this in, in some way. In other words, Jacob realized that he had a brother that was really hungry and maybe not too bright, you know, between the ears. And so he saw an opportunity to grab the birthright from his brother. And so Esau could appear to be a victim here. And even later on, there's a there's another story about them that occurs that even underlines this kind of victim mentality for Esau. It was when later in their life, when their father Isaac had reached an age where he was about to die, he his eyesight had dimmed, he was almost blind, and he was ready to give away the blessing that was reserved for the eldest son. And with Rebecca's urging, Jacob pretends to be Esau while Esau is out hunting for particular food that Isaac wants. And, uh um, in essence, Isaac is saying, you, you prepare this meal for me and I'll eat it. And then I'll give you the blessing. And so Esau takes off on the hunt. Well, in the meantime, Rebecca and Jacob, they kind of connive with each other. And Rebecca actually prepares the meal and she puts on Jacob kind of this fur of, of a, of an animal skin, uh, because Esau was hairy over against the the smooth skin of Jacob. And not only that, she kind of made sure that he had that aroma of, of uh, Esau. And then he ha- she had Jacob go before his father, Isaac, with this meal, all prepared the way he wanted it. And and uh, Isaac said, well, you don't sound like my son, Isaac, come close. And he, he touches that furry uh, animal skin. He says, well, you're hairy like my son Esau. Come let me smell. Oh yeah, you smell like my son Esau. And so he blesses Jacob. And and in the scriptures, it's one of the most poignant scenes in all the scriptures when Esau returns from the hunt and he realizes what has just happened. And he just breaks down and he weeps. He begs his father, please don't you have another blessing. Can you not bless me? And and Isaac says, I'm sorry, I've given away the blessing that was reserved for you. I'm sorry, your brother has tricked you. And it and it's just it's just so it's it's so painful to read the words of that of that story. And so again, you can kind of feel feel for Esau and feel like he is indeed a victim. But the writer of Genesis sees it a little bit differently. In verse 34, the writer of Genesis says that he despised his birthright. In essence, he, he gave away his birthright because he didn't care about his birthright. He wanted the stew. There is a sense that the Genesis writer really doesn't uh, think too highly of Esau. And maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe he did despise his birthright. And and maybe he didn't really, maybe he wasn't smart enough to see the the trickery of his brother when he went off to hunt for that last meal in preparation to receive his uh, elder son's blessing. But uh, maybe it was something else. Maybe at the heart of it was the fact that he was hungry. He was hungry. And that made him susceptible to temptation. You you see, hunger is is often at the very root of temptation. Think about it. When we're hungry, when we're desperate, when there's an emptiness inside, we're we're more susceptible to temptation. The story of Jesus being baptized. Remember when he comes up out of the water, the scriptures tell us that the scripture, uh, the spirit drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. And what was his temptation? There were a number of temptations, but one of them was from his hunger. Satan says, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? Why don't you use the power that you have? And, and Jesus has to say, no, one does not live by bread alone, but by what flows from the mouth of God. I mean, Jesus is tempted. We would all be tempted. Forty days in the wilderness, it was the, maybe the first uh, survival reality show for Jesus. That's what hunger does. It, it causes us to be tempted to, to do something we might not otherwise do. Alcoholics, they're hungry for liquor. They're, they're tempted to give away their jobs and their families throw away their friends and even their reputation, all for the price of a drink. They're just so desperate to have that next drink, and they're willing to give it all away. And the same goes for people who are hungry for drugs or sex or money or fame. and You can go on. You can make your list of those hungers that drive people. When we're hungry, when we're desperate, that's when we're tempted to make decisions we would not otherwise make. And it can happen with religion too. People who are hungry for meaning and purpose in their lives, when their life is on the edge, you know, they're, they're, they're teetering between life and death, they can be tempted to fill that hungry with destructive religious ideologies and practices. They can throw away family relationships like they're not, not important anymore because this my religion, That's, that's I'm, God wants me to get rid of those family members that are driving me in another direction. They can become zealots to the point of strapping bombs around their waist and going into uh, shopping areas and blowing themselves up. They can close their ears to reason. They can refuse to hear the voices of other people. They can isolate themselves, all because of this hunger for meaning and purpose in their lives. You know, it's tempting to sell our souls for a pot of stew. Hunger is a powerful thing. It can motivate us, but it can also tempt us. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew Because he was hungry. He was in line to inherit the lion's share of his father's holdings the land, the cattle, house, servants, everything. He was going to get it all, pretty much all. And he threw it all away because at that moment, in that time, he was hungry. And and on all the rest, that was too far off. That was way off in the distance. I don't even know if it'll ever come. But right now, I'm hungry. I, I want that stew. I can smell it. I can almost taste it. He gave it all away for a bowl of stew. Now, you and I are due to inherit a greater inheritance. It's called the kingdom of God. But we might just give it all away. We're t- when we're hungry for other things. We might be hungry for something we can touch, something that's, something that's more tangible than this, this ethereal thing called the kingdom of God. We might see the opportunity to make money in some not so good ways. We might want to hang on to a home more than anything else, and so we're willing to let the kingdom go. We might want a car. We might want good looks, a slimmer waistline. I mean, we can go on and on. You make your list. We might be hungry for a relationship, so hungry that we're willing to enter into a destructive relationship because we're so desperate for it. We're so hungry for it. Why do so many kids get involved in gangs and in in relationships that, that harm them more than anyone else? They do it because they're hungry for love in their lives. We might simply be hungry for something that's here and now, as opposed to something that's far off in the future. Remember, Esau probably had more food on his shoulders as he came in from the hunt than was in the pot that Jacob was creating a stew in. But the difference was Jacob's stew was immediately available. The food that was on his shoulder, on Esau's shoulders, would have taken some time to prepare. Well, hunger can tempt us as individuals and it can, it, it can tempt us as a congregation. We can be hungry for the good old days. And be tempted to hang on to old traditions, willing to lose a whole generation of young people because we're so hungry for things to be the way they used to be. We can also be hungry for change and therefore be tempted to throw the baby out with the wash. You know, discard important ideas and truths simply because we want things different. And that kind of hunger can drive us. It can drive us to the point that we 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 don't we our reason goes out the window. I think it's that kind of hunger that's affecting our country, our nation, even this community. We're all hungry for something better. And we, we don't even know what it is, but but we know we want it to be different. We're so hungry for that that we're willing to just take anything that that offers something that's different. We're willing to throw everybody else under the bu- bus just to get our own way. We're hungry, but we don't know what we're hungry for. And that kind of hunger drives us. There's this kind of emptiness in our soul. And it's, it's a dangerous thing when we're that hungry. It's a dangerous thing because we can give up the, our, our birthright. We can give up our inheritance. We can give up the future. We can give up so much because we're waiting to eat the stew that's right in front of us. It seems to me the message from our scripture lesson is pretty clear to me. Esau is telling us loud and clear, don't make hasty decisions when you're hungry. Don't shop on an empty stomach. Let us pray. Lord, our stomachs are growling. We're hungry. We admit it. So we need your help. Just like you sent angels to help Jesus in the wilderness We need your angels in the midst of our hunger. Help us, Lord, not to allow the hunger to drive us. Motivate us, yes, but not drive us into making decisions that would be against your will. Fill us, Lord. Fill us with your wisdom and with your love. Amen.